1: to the Vet Gurus. Brendan here with Mark, episode number 98. We are very, very, very close to that magical 100, Mark. And those emails, they keep coming in for our huge prize pack. And if I didn't mention it the last couple of episodes, Mark, we will post out the prize anywhere in the world, won't we, Mark?
0: Anywhere in the world, completely anywhere.
1: It might take a while to get there because we might have to send it sea um, sea freight um, because of the size of and the and the quality and the and it might get um, might sit in quarantine for a little bit as well. Um, but it's not a pack to be sneezed at. So all you need to do to enter the competition is just send an email vetgurus at gmail.com, to say hello. And if you Talk a little bit about yourself. As I said a couple of episodes ago, we will give you two entries into the draw. It's that simple. You don't have to spend any money, give us any money. We, or we, we would like you to subscribe to our podcast, wouldn't we?
0: We love subscriptions, but we just love the interaction, Brendan. We're perfectly happy just to hear from people and and. And like you said, just send us an email, a little comment about the the topics we've been talking about or um, any interesting cases you would like us to talk about. We love that interaction.
1: We love it. We love it. Friday, 30th of August. So, Mark, what has been happening? I, was, I did mention off air that I had a review. Actually, I have two reviews, but they're not quite ready for the review. One of them I've been sitting on for a while and it it is not a cushion or a chair. It is um something I've slowly been slowly been getting through a a book. I know you've done a few book reviews previously, Mark, and this one is a very good book but I've sort of taken it in chunks. I've been reading a chapter every now and again and it is a very good book but I I don't want to do the review yet Mark.
0: Look, and I think I really, you know, counsel you to make sure. I know the effort that goes into these reviews, and uh, we don't want them <laughs> half done, Brendan. We don't want them, you know, spouting off just random numbers. We want we want the hardcore, full assessment. So, yep, I'm I'm telling you now. Wait till you've you know read and reflected and compared and maybe written a few reviews and then let us know what you really think.
1: Hurry up and get it done, in other words. Yes, I will try. But actually, I do have another review, Mark, and it is one of the prizes, one of the prizes for our 100th episode, and that is courtesy of Microchips Australia and Doug, and it is the Live Trek Sentinel which I'll oh, just grab the box here. It is the Magnetic Portable GPS Tracker. And I did chat about it a little bit in a previous episode. Um, it's fantastic, this little thing. It's uh, It has a little magnetic base and you can attach this to any bit of metal, Mark. And basically it uses a smartphone app that you can then GPS track because it has a, it just uses a normal SIM card. So it's, um, track over, um, the SIM network or the, the mobile network or the cellular network if you're in the US. Um, and, you can track whatever item is that you've stuck it on or into. Now, now I, just a, out, a, I just need to point out. I just need to point out at this stage
0: that the basic premise behind this device is, you know, for someone that might have a motorbike or even a, a uh, an expensive Treadley or a flash like you, Brendan, a flash car, they stick it on this, and if someone steals one of those things, they might not be aware uh, that the, particularly, you know, your, your motorbike or your, your push bike, they might not be aware that there is a tracking device there. And so you might be able to get it back. It's definitely not. And I'll repeat this, definitely not for tracking your daughter when she goes to the nightclub. Let's just emphasize Look, that.
1: Let me just say a couple of things, Mark. Um, It says on the front of the box, suitable for trailers, vehicles, and non-powered asset. And I would classify my two daughters as non-powered assets. So I reckon it definitely falls into that um, category there, Mark. Um, It does have a – and it's useful for them too. I mean, if they did happen to find it just – by chance, in their in their little handbag as they were out and about. It does have a built-in SOS button for emergencies, Mark, so it does have value for them in case they get into trouble there. But, yeah, it is specifically targeted at putting it on, your, you know, in your car or on your motorbike or you can use it in vet clinics too, Mark, and it's something that I thought of um, It would be a great use for it, you know, if you had a particularly expensive piece of equipment that um, might – Happen to disappear, you know. A good example might be a, a, a portable endoscope or an ultrasound machine um, and placing it in with that. And um, if you're out in the field and Farmer um, Joe um, just happens to um, um, secrete the um, little um, ultrasound that just happens to be left there, um, you can track it down. And you can, um, when next time you're back at Farmer Joe's um, farm. You can um, show in the little app, and it, I think it's it's pretty – well, it's like any mobile phone um, tracking sort of um, – it, it does the triangulation, I think, with the towers. I, I'm sure Doug will put me um, right with this. If, if I'm wrong, he'll be telling me all the things I'm saying wrong about the review um, that you'll be able to track down and say, look, it is in your shed. Um, have a look at this and show in the app. The app is free, um, by the way, and oh, it, it had – it's, I think it's USB battery charge because I've been um, using it um, as a demonstration unit and that's the one that we'll be sending off to, to the winner. So a really interesting nifty product, Mark. And yes, you do have to be a little bit careful about... Um, where and what you use it for, but that's a live Trek sentinel, and um, thank you to from from Doug from Microchips Australia um, for supplying that. So that'll be part of the package. It is for the competition.
0: It, is, it isn't. Um, you know, I'm always fascinated by Microchips Australia. The uh, the you know the uh, odd little things they pick up at the edges. <laughs> They're just the the um, you know there's there's a uh, there is a theme, I suppose, um, that, that if you look at the, their line of stock, that it is associated with electronic identification and pretty much anything else that exotic vets might, might uh, want to use at some point. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we do shout out to Doug and thank him
1: for being, well, a little bit eccentric and uh, generous. Yes. Thank you, Doug. And I think he has one of these on his ride on a mower because he does tell us that he likes listening to our podcast if he's at home when he's mowing the lawn. Um, and I think, um, that tells a lot, doesn't it, Mark? He just uses our podcast as white noise, um, to try and, um, keep out the noise of the, of the mower as he's heading around his little paddock on his, on his property. So that's my news, Mark. Um, do you have anything, um, to mention, or shall we jump into? Our I was news? just going to
0: quickly mention, Brendan, that um, of, uh, you know, our, our recent episode talking about lumps on guinea pigs, um, I uh, I've you know, uh, stuck my uh, um, head out and tried to make sure that um, that I can uh, identify those things, um, I reckon. Um, that um we've found a couple that I thought were but they were sebaceous cysts, Brendan. Um so I I it, there's another sort of lump that we'll sometimes find on the on our guinea pigs. And and it's, I still haven't been able to identify one of those lymphadenitis cases.
1: Interesting. Um I've definitely found those sebaceous cysts on guinea pigs, but typically I find them on the on the trunk region, Mark, and, and along the back and the flanks there. So um, I can't recall whether or not I have found those cysts around the okay, um, around the neck. I, region. Have, to, um, yeah. I have to quickly, it, this is a,
0: a podcast first. I've just gotten, would you believe this, an emergency call from someone who has an eclectus parrot At Malvern in Melbourne, the bird's eaten some avocado, so they need to go to an emergency
1: hospital straight away. What should I tell them? You should tell them that, well, there's two or three bird or avian clinics in Melbourne here, and they should just go to one of those, Mark. Which ones? Which ones? Well, there is, well... Oh, no, I I don't think I should mention them on, on air, but there's, there's there's three or four. There's even if even if they went to care in Collingwood, um, that's open twenty four hours a day. Lord Smith Animal Hospital, um, where Tristan works, um, there, and then there is um, um Highbury Vet Clinic, um, which is um Phil Sachs at Pat McQuaid's old clinic, and then there is a Melbourne Bird Clinic is another one and the final two would be um, beak which is the um, uh, um, exotics animal clinic um, the bird and exotic animal clinic beak beAC in 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 Western Melbourne, I always forget it's in it's near. Um, uh, I've gone blank, and that's Jacqueline who owns that clinic. And the final one is the Melbourne University um, after hours service in Werribee. Excellent, Brendan. Geez, does that give you enough to pass along? Yeah, so you can you can. Um, do you need to reply to this um, person? Um, Kate's onto it already. So you, Kate's onto it already. Kate's, well done, cake, cake, Kate. Um, Kate, um, Kate you're not only supply Matt with cake, but you're, um, you're getting um, help for that person with the with the bird with the avocado toxicity. So, what would your treatment be for that? Um, it's a little bit uh, uh,
0: frustrating, Brendan, because you've got to get to them quickly, um, because the avocado. About thirty percent of the avocados we see in Australia contain a cardiotoxin, this is and awesome. No, that's the name of the hospital. Yeah, just do a search on that. It'll come up. Yeah. Um, So we would normally try and make them, um, we try and get it out of their crop, one of the great things about uh, birds is that with toxins, you've got a little bit of a window to flush it out of their crop. Not long, uh, for most sort of collector-sized birds, it's only going to be an hour or two and they're going to be in trouble, um, particularly if they're in that 30% that have a, uh, um, contain the cardiac toxin. Um, but, um, And once they they absorb it and it starts to do its damage, the damage is irreparable. Um, So uh, it is something that um, is a a genuine avian
1: emergency,
0: Brendan. Ah,
1: the old smashed avocado, hey? Um, And no wonder it happened in Melbourne, hey? Because we... we love our smashed avocado here, yes. So how's that? That's a it's a, a live life emergency feed. recorded live feed here on um, the vet gurus. So yeah, we're we we're, we're not just we're not just radio heads, are we? We're we're, we're real life veterinarians, aren't we? Um, not. Um, even though we're handballing them to other clinics, um, yeah. And notice how I didn't mention uh, Warrenwood Veterinary, the, the primary which is my location for
0: um, veterinary care of unusual exotic animals in Melbourne. Yes,
1: because we don't do after hours; we do handball them to the other clinics. So, yes, because I've got more, more better things to do, like recording a podcast, <laughs> Mark, than deal with a bird with avocado toxicity. So. Okay, Mark, you jump into the first news story, and I think you've got a story about dinosaurs. You you know how much I
0: love dinosaurs. And the only bad thing about this story, the only bad thing is that it really focuses on that uh, that time when they all – Got smashed by the meat by the the meteor. Um, It is a story about um, a fossil site um, that in uh, uh, I think it's uh, part of the Hell Creek Formation in North Dakota, where through a interesting series of um, deductions they've figured out that uh, most of the mass death assemblage at this location represents uh, um, animals that passed away at the time um, of the um, end of the Cretaceous period, that uh, particular moment when the asteroid impacted Earth um, and led to the uh, extinction of 75% of all life on Earth. Um, And the way that they figure this out is pretty Pretty cool, I reckon, Brendan. Um, they paid attention to tektites. I love tektites. Um, Tectites are little glassy um, uh, rocks that are the the um, result of uh, bits of Earth being uh, melted by the impact of something from space, so meteorites or asteroids that would hit Earth, much like the um, the 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 Yucatan uh, uh, peninsula, whether it was a, a comet or an asteroid, it leads to a splash of these uh, bits of Earth that are molten, and they turn to glass and then return to Earth. And some of them are microscopic, and some of them get up to a couple of centimeters across. They're roughly round, and they were surrounding the animals that were. Uh, found in this fossil bed, and additionally to that, the the nature of the waves that um, that uh, created the uh, sediment in which these animals were buried was very suggestive of a tsunami, um, and so initially the thought was that uh, the wave was. You know the result of um, a uh, seismic event um, related to the impact of the the uh, um, space object, but the what they've decided now is that um, the tektites uh, would probably have all um, uh, rained down to the surface within about an hour of the impact, and so the three thousand kilometres distant between this. Uh, fossil field and the the location of the the uh, uh, impact would make it very difficult for it to be a um, seismic way uh, um, a, a, a tsunami a result of a tsunami, um, but it much more likely to be a direct result of. Um, a uh, seismic wave that, um, that the actual force of the impact would send uh, uh, not a wave through the water that responds to the moving earth, but like a physical sound that radiates out from the impact. Um, and those two things, first of all, led to um, the sudden death of many of these animals, but also characterised the time that they passed away and provided an opportunity for them to be fossilised.
1: And gives you an opportunity to I love the Tektite. And also,
0: um, there, there are a number of places around the planet <laughs> where Tektites, uh, they occur everywhere, as you can imagine. Um, but they, Australia, our outback is a particularly rich field for searching um, for Tektites. And so, um, I do cast, every time I'm out in the desert, um, I do cast my eye around looking for the characteristic shape of Tektites, Brendan.
1: Well, you should contact Jan Smith, the retired professor, who's regarded as the world expert on TikToks, Mark. Um, So I think you and him or her um, will get on like like a a, um, (laughs) a meteor on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my first story is a bit of a a, a dry one, but um, I think it's a quite an, a very interesting one, and it, it is about. Per- well, I think it is anyway. Purple bacteria turn sewage into clean energy, and purple phototrophic bacteria, according to Science Daily, which can store energy from light when supplied with an electric current, can recover nearly a hundred percent of carbon for any type of organic waste while generating hydrogen gas for fuel. So what does that mean? Well, and why is it important? Well, it's because all the waste that we have, organic compounds in households, sewerage and industrial waste, are such a potential source of energy. And all we do is, well, we just discard them or we spend lots of energy trying to trying to get rid of them um, and they often just end up as contaminants um, and this was published in the frontiers in energy research as i'm sure you subscribe to this mark <laughs> this journal their study is the first to show that purple phototrophic bacteria when supplied with an electric current can recover the 100 percent of the carbon for organic waste and well I don't want to read this whole story, Mark, but but I did find it fascinating because it gets a little bit complex as we go through it. But it's basically using these bacteria to to produce biofuel, I suppose, isn't it? Um, and um, getting rid of that waste that um, previously um, we weren't able to get rid of. So it's it's um, it's a, it's a um, yeah, it's a very hopeful article, and and I you know how. And it was literally, it was literally just, just basically zapping them, wasn't it? It's using electrodes um, and showing that these bacteria are capable of using these, um, um, you know, the electron transfer, etc., from the cathode to the anode, and that, and um, basically getting the getting the um, byproducts that we want rather than rather than um, this hazardous sort of material. So through this bio-electrochemical And I think a lot um, of, pathway. like,
0: we will see a lot more of this sort of stuff uh, published in the journals you subscribe to. Um, but we'll also see uh, there'll be bits of it that actually make it to, you know, a real-world... Um, utility. They'll they'll uh, be scaled up and, um, and uh, used, I think, in the mix. I don't think any one of these things is going to uh, sort of uh, be the be-all and end-all, but it will be that sort of whole mix of different technologies, and I've got no doubts that these uh, purple bacteria will be um, quite possibly one of that mix, Brendan.
1: Yes, and what was the very famous song about the purple or the purple. Every time um, we
0: talk about the colour purple, eat. you've got to break out your Prince repertoire.
1: <laughs> no, not the colour purple, actually, although that is um, something else we, um, yeah, should obviously quote every now and again. Yeah, no, the purple people eater or whatever. That, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's move on to another story. Well, what I wanted to talk to you about... Um, <laughs> Something that I'm angry about,
0: Brendan. Something that I am really genuinely angry about, Um,
1: and And I'm embarrassed about considering. Um, So, what I'm talking
0: about is the uh, the greater glider, um, and its general slide towards extinction. Um, And the greater glider is um, it's easily one of um, one of Australia's most photogenic possums, um, and um and it you know the big fluffy ears, it looks like a teddy bear. you think people would be in love with it. Um, and like for at least 20 years, scientific experts in this area have been pointing out that um, the, the population is crashing and that we need to do something about its environment, the the uh, um, old growth forest um, that, it depends on to survive um, if we are to stall its eventual demise. Um, but bloody hell, the government, the Labor government in Victoria has just um, signed off on a whole bunch of new logging coupes that are going to mean that a whole swathe of uh, prime habitat for greater gliders is going to be turned into Bloody wood chips. And, Brendan, the worst part about this is these beautiful old trees, which I don't know that we'll ever replace. But if we could, they're going to take several hundred years to replace. Um, they're, it's not, they're not being cut down for some massive, massive, you know, uh, financial gain. The loggers that are chopping them down are just turning them into paper, there's a million things they could
1: use to do that job. Oh, it is heartbreaking. Yes. The, and it's not just the greater gliders too. It's the other probably even more endangered, the, yeah. the um, lead beater's possum as well, Mark. And um, I've had you know direct contact with the people involved with, um, with um, ongoing... Um, well, on- ongoing struggle to try and um, k- keep that species going as well. Um, yeah, um, which we may interview one of the people love involved with that, that in a future yeah, podcast, Mark. That. Just, that. just quite. Yeah. But
0: what we've all got to do in the meantime yeah. is work hard um, to make yeah. sure that um, all our governments, Labor and Liberal conservative and progressive, they all work together to particularly protect old growth forests from logging and just assist the logging industries to transition to uh, plantation, to uh, maybe non-timber sources, hemp and uh, bamboo sources of fibre. And in doing so, those jobs will be sustainable, Brendan. If they keep chopping down old-growth forests, those jobs will disappear. It's no surprise we've been saying it for decades.
1: You are a bit angry, aren't you, Mark? I'm fired up. You are a bit angry. And, yeah, that that um, the picture of the login there too in that story, and we'll link to that at vetgurus.com. Yeah, it is a bit depressing there, isn't it, the, the clear felling of those um those coops um yeah that is depressing well where do we go from here what's my next story oh it's yeah it's not a good one as well um it is a slippery world of eel smuggling mark how's that For a bit a to think about and it's all about yeah europe's illegal and booming trade in and i haven't i must admit i haven't read this article fully so i'll be reading it um i'll be reading it live mark here um so there's a black market in eels in Europe. So let me go back to the start here, um, and this was an article that was from the Telegraph. What was the date of it, Mark? It was um, March in, oh, this was a while ago, March in 2017. It was a couple of years ago. So uh, hopefully things have um, improved since here. Um, so the Border Force in the UK, they apprehended a 64-year-old man at Heathrow Airport in London, and they made an astonishing find underneath a crate containing chilled fish, which were legitimately bound for Hong Kong, was a stash mark of 600,000 glass eels with a street value, which sort of blew me away when I, when I read it, um, one minute ago of 1.2 million pounds. And it was, Yeah, the seizure was the first of its kind in Britain and in evidence of a creeping black market taking hold. And to even be talking about the illegal price tag of them um, shows shows how under threat they are. So the European ear was one so abundant, reading from the article, that Britain's great west-facing rivers would have, you know, that would be glittering silver mark with the spring tides of the little elvers. the baby eels were rushing upstream in hundreds of millions of them, which um that's what was happening. But in recent decades, the population has crashed. So now it's classified as critically endangered. And as a result, there's a there's only a, a short season for eel fishing. Which runs from February to May, and it would be interesting to see whether or not they've they've continued with that season, or whether it's shrunken or expanded since two thousand and seventeen, a couple of years ago. Mark, um, and the catch is roughly divided into half eating and half restocking um, the eels across across it's interesting. the continent. Yeah, so,
0: but it's born. It's
1: interesting that, um, that yeah, they are ahead.
0: using the catch to restock, and um, and I was particularly interested in the the dynamic that um, uh, an estimated 115 million elvers, the little glass eels, the uh, larval stage, were legally caught um, and uh, they should have been used to restock other countries in Europe and that number of elvers would have weighed about 33 metric tonnes. Um, but uh, that amount of elvers is would be worth 50 million euros on the black market. They suspect they're smuggled into Asia and left to grow in specifically created lagoons. And over a year, their value increases tenfold. I suppose those eels are then going to, um, you know, t- to be eaten is what I guess. Um, uh, so, geez, that, that is organised crime, Brennan, to shift 33 tonnes of glass eels and, um, uh, over several countries,
1: crikey! Yes, it's it's a, a, they were they were mentioning that the potential profits make this particular business as lucrative as some of the drugs trade mark. Um, so, yeah, it was um, it was um, it's a bit of an eye opener. This one, isn't it? Yeah, um, so. I'm trying to read down further. Mark, it's a fairly long article. There are they? Um, have they found a potential solution. They have. Um, I think it's the,
0: just our problem. Our good friend, the retired lieutenant, um, uh, trying to track them down. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> oh God! So Elvis has left the building. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have What's a story about story, um,
0: the deer now um, this one was really uh um this is an article from uh the age um but deer have been uh, we we i've been when I've been out bird watching lately around home I've seen a couple of red deer in the bush they're they're the damn things are uh, breeding up in significant numbers around us here in Newcastle these deer are uh, um uh, in the Nara Park in western Japan, um, the deer are traditionally considered to be messengers of the messengers of the gods in Japan's native Shinto religion, and so they hold a very special and respected place in Japanese culture. But the bizarre thing here is that the tourists who wander in and uh, feed the deer, um, you know in almost like a little bit of a worshipping sort of uh, um, and make the messengers of the gods feel good sort of way, um, So they, they, the, whether the deer have been able to um, get a grab on the plastic bag that the uh, crackers that are sold to feed them, um, whether the deers have grabbed them or whether people have carelessly dropped them, nine out of the park's, famed 1,000 deer have died as a result of uh, the plastic blocking up part of their gastrointestinal tract. Now, we know that um, deer are, are ruminants, um, and uh, and so it doesn't come as a big surprise um, that they can uh, digest a lot of indigestible stuff. Um, but... Um, they, uh, Once they get these plastic bags into their stomach, um, then they can be completely bound up, they get run down and malnourished, and, and we've lost nine of them. So I think the tip there, Brendan, is they need to uh, put the crackers that they feed the deer in some sort of digestible bag. Plastic has to go. That's my tip.
1: And do you think they should be feeding those crackers anyway? Those biscuits. Um, we always worried when I was a zoo veterinarian many, many moons ago. Mark, um, there was always a debate between the departments at the zoo about um, feeding of, of the animals. In in particular, at this zoo, it was um, the kangaroos um, that obviously the the visitors would want to um, you know touch or have a photo with the kangaroos that were in these sort of semi. Um, little fenced off areas that you'd, you'd, you'd wander into that paddock and, um, you'd be given a little bag of, um, um, sometimes it would be, well, I don't think it is anymore, you know, be corn or bread, even worse. Um, and there was always concerns that you're contributing to the, to the lumpy jaw um, infections, mouth infections, and that from feeding um, inappropriate things. So, what should they be? Doing? What should they be and, feeding and, them if they're not? I mean, they are look, cute. I think Those deers. I'm much the they?
0: same they're as you. I'm. Look I'm always a big fan of um, trying not to interfere with the wildlife. Trying to, uh, you know, I feel privileged if I can be in the vicinity and and watch their normal behaviour. I don't need to have them eat out of my hand. But I also understand the the. You know, it is a um, a genuine feel good moment that you're um, you're in close proximity to the animal. You um, you are providing. You know, it, it sort of has those uh, um, caring, giving, supportive to overtones that you're helping to feed the animal. And um, I know why people like it, but um, geez, I. I i would I would like it if we, as a species who were custodians and carers for them, didn't give in to our base motives and and uh and just do it to make ourselves feel good and we chose to do the right thing by the animals too much to hope for brandon too much
1: yes, you are a A very positive force tonight, aren't you, Um, with our podcast? Well, mine's at my final story, Mark, of this, um, we're calling this the clickbait edition um, because, as you can um, probably uh, um, see or hear from now, that most of these stories are ones that we've clicked on because we (laughs) like the headlines. Um, Mine's about a can of bug spray (laughs) um, to do with, um, oh, Guess what? I've just deleted it. No, I haven't. I've got it here. <laughs> um, about um, Norfolk Island. Now, before I jump into the story, Mark, have you been to Norfolk Island, which is a, a remote island? It's an Australian territorial island. It's off the mainland of Australia. And, I have um, not,
0: Brendan, but I, 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 I
1: have. I go to have you been there?
0: Um, uh, one of the photography workshop uh, teams that I go around the countryside and try and learn about wildlife and photos, they run a, a, uh, an expedition to Norfolk Island. And, um, and I've signed up for the last couple of years, but I haven't gone because it's clashed with the UPav conference. And you know where my priorities lie there. Ah, uh,
1: good. Well... It just happens to. Um, I'll, I'll make sure that it clashes again um, every every few years. But no, we should we should try and get out there. We can do a, a record a couple of podcasts from there. It'd be it's supposed to be a beautiful a beautiful island and a beautiful part of the world. And because it's so isolated, um, the concern, and that's what this article is about. There's always a big concern about biosecurity. And nothing, according to this article, which was um, from the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, um, nothing is shipped to Norfolk Island without Duncan Edward knowing about it. And he's the head Steve Dor who, who works on the docks and he oversees cargo brought by sea to the pristine territory. And a redback spider mark arrived last week which was in july um well this article in um in july 2019 so a month or so ago um and urgent calls were made to buy by security of officials on shore when he um when he um detected this redback spider and uh, in response mark guess what they did they dispatched a can of bug spray um, to the ship, and told the cargo workers to exterminate the stowaways before the goods were brought to land. Um, and Morten is inadequate, according to biosecurity staff. It should be on board to check it out. And we don't want these sort of pests here. And there was a bit of a there was a little bit of a spat um, between, um, I think, the biosecurity um, officers um, from the mainland and north, Norfolk Island as well. Mark, I'm just amazed at places in this. Day and age that places like Norfolk Island have not, unfortunately, um, so far. But they haven't ended up with all these fa- flora and fauna that they no, shouldn't No, don't have. say because, that. Gee, it's going to happen. No, isn't it? no matter how it is, no matter how tight you're going to be with biosecurity, it, it's 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 imp- and it's same with well even speaking broader, we'd say Australia with some of the diseases that we've been lucky, and I think it's been lucky enough to keep out of Australia, you know, foot and mouth disease, rabies, all those, you know, all some of those diseases that we just do not see um, exotic to Australia. Um, I think a lot of it's luck more than biosecurity, really. Um, But, yeah, so... I don't know what this story is telling us apart from the fact that... Uh, well, it is interesting. One of, of the interesting things about it is um, that
0: um, the the that the redback spider is a, uh, um, you know, it's not one of the things that I would have initially thought, but it is a, a bit of a, a species that can turn up in places that it shouldn't belong. Um, and it has even been known to hybridise with um, uh, some of the other um, uh closely related species the black widow spider from America for example to produce slightly larger versions and uh, yeah I th- I you know our Australian wildlife uh, we here in Australia get upset about the species that come to us but some of our guys get around the world and make some trouble too so I
1: And we're proud of our exports, aren't we, Mark? Um, Yeah, in recent years, according to the article, yeah, there have been media reports of redbacks in Iran, United Arab Emirates, United Kingdom, New Zealand, Japan, Belgium. And they think the reason why they like to get out and about redbacks is the the theory is, Mark, that they're attracted to shipments that contain cars and other steel-type products because when they're heated up in the sun... They provide the perfect warm conditions in which to mature their eggs. So that's the theory behind why they, they like to jump on and take a little, a little trip on the ocean, Mark. Um, so yeah, but I think it's a little bit like, I mean, it's like going through airports and you've been a th- through a few airports in the world, um, Mark, <laughs> and I've been lucky lately. I'm just, I'm just thinking about something that used to happen to me all the time. I used, I was That's always amazing. the person to pulled aside. Always, every single time. I went. It's not surprising, is it, considering that the shenanigans I get up to? But I would always be called aside for the bomb test, for the for the scan, for the full body scan, for the pat down, for the take your shoes off and your belt off and bend over, and all those sorts of things. But and I, I, I tried to work out what was the profiling they were doing on me because okay, um, a fair number of those times I'd be travelling overseas for conferences and, and sometimes for holidays would be I'd be taking a little – my carry on would be a little backpack, you know, just a little backpack that might have my camera and other gear in there and I thought maybe that the profile is just looking for backpacks. But last couple of years, Mark, they haven't um they've left me alone. Um although I actually, no, having said that, I i I had the, I went through the ringer in, in Beijing Airport on the way back home. They really um they really went to town with the um with the security there. But it, it, it does this article does mirror me about um screen it at airports and, and supposedly there's no way they can screen all, you know, if you screened everybody thoroughly, um, it would take, you know, several hours to screen everybody on each individual flight. So so they have to profile and just, just ra- you know, not just randomly, but also selectively um, pull out a few people um, based on their profiling, um, who they think might be carrying that the shoe bomb or, or whatever um, on the plane. So, yeah, I think um, that's what the biosecurity um, people must have to do as well. I mean, uh, there's, there's no way they can check everything and stop every redback spider coming in or getting into a country. Yeah, um, unless you zapped yeah, everything, I, I think Mark, right. with, I think, with insecticide, um, I suppose. I think
0: there is uh, – the, I know that there are some certain devices that uh, zap containers – um, with uh, um, irradiation to try and render them sterile. Um, but, um, but there's just so much international trade and so much stuff that goes between countries and um, uh, the, uh, things like plants or um, uh, um, whatever it is that, um, that small... That, that We have to talk about the tardigrades in the next one, Brendan. Did you hear that story on the moon? the tardigrades on the moon?
1: Oh, yes. No, I've, I've just seen that. can so on the moon. Olympics. How are we going to no, stop them getting all around them. the earth? Yep. That's right. The, we're doomed. We're doomed. On that high note... Well, on that point, I think we're going to um, wrap up this episode. It's a, it's a little bit of a, um, a shorter episode, but that's fine. Um, a lot of people like um, a slightly shorter episode than usual, and we will talk to you all next week. And remember, you've only got one or two episodes in order to enter the competition for the um, prize pack. Just send us an email, vetgurus vet gurus at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next week.